His name is Heston Blumenthal. He is to cooking what Shackleton was to exploration, unafraid to journey far into the outer reaches of culinary understanding, even if it means getting frostbite along the way. My name's Jay Taylor. I've been Heston's TV producer for many years, and now your host for a journey inside his mind. And on today's show, grab your Vianetta, whip out your Cornetto and pour a bowl full of Gino Ginelli as we delve into the wonderful world of ice cream. So without further ado... Let's stop him and buy one. Our very own Mr. Softy, Heston Blumenthal. Hello, sir. Hello, sir. What an introduction. Gino, <laughs> how many people listening to this are going to know what Gino Gennelli means as opposed to the thinking it's a year, bad Eurovision Song Contest? A screamo for telly or something, wasn't it? No, G- but yeah, Gino, Gen- Gino Gennelli. It was, in, fact, in fact, if you have a look into history... There was a lot of Italian um, people that went to Scotland. So Scotland has a history of ice cream bars. And Gino Ginelli originates from the Italian-Scottish connection. I did not know that. Tutti Frutti Gino Ginelli, which is a mouthful in itself, was part of my childhood. But if anyone doesn't know what it is, it's basically like a magic cart door, which is pretty bad, much worse. And you're sort of quite close to Gino Ginelli, I would suggest. Do you have a memory of it? No, no. You didn't? You, didn't, no, you never had Gino Ginelli? No, I don't even know what it looks like. And when I was a kid, it's a bit like fruit and nut. I didn't like, I didn't like the, I, I loved the nut, but I didn't like the fruit. So rum and raisin um, ice cream for me was not at the top of my list. That felt very adult. Oh, by the way, we should say, hello, James. James, our Fat Duck producer, is always, as always, here to keep us on the right side of fat. We're already diving off into ice creams without. James, do you know what yeah. Gino Ginelli is? We used to occasionally have it, yes. My, my parents would sometimes have that in the freezer. Do you remember the taste of it? it? Was, I think, for me, it had that kind of, that gumminess that some of the, the I suppose, the other ice creams had. I don't know what they, what they stabilised it with, you know. You might be able to, to explain that at some point. But, you know, in terms of it had that texture, but wasn't quite frozen. It was almost, like, stretchy. You know, I don't know. Some ice creams do. They seem to, they seem to be solid, but not that cold sometimes. They've got so much, something else in their gummy that holds it. It was one of those. But it had ripples in, and it had mint chop chip, and it was very colourful, I remember. For me, the king of puddings when it came to ice cream uh, was, was still Vianetta, though. Because that was one of those ones your mum brought out, and that was a bit of a show. That was oh, quite an do you impressive. Remember, we we filmed the Vianetta factory, and those ripples, the ripples of chocolate. And that, remember the advert? It was a a silver um, cake slice that cracked through the ice cream. <laughs> yeah, I re- you and I stood in that walls factory, which was thankfully with our, as wonderful as you hoped a walls factory. Jaws open. And we, yeah, we gazed for ages at the Rippleometer maker machine on top of the thing, which just whipped back and forth, doing the wiggly bits on the Vianetta. It was brilliant, and we who, couldn't at school, figure it out. Who's, who would say, I would love to be a designer of the machines, the robots that make Vianetta? Who, how, do you, <laughs> how do you get to have that as an ambition? A postman, a lawyer, a president, a musician, a chef, um, a teacher, a, a, a dustman, whatever. But I am going to design the machine that makes a Vionetta. How do you get to that point? But when you see it in the factory, those robots that do that thing, and, they, and then the Vionetta, it's, it? it's similar to the flake. So the chocolate... Yeah, the speed they were coming out as well, yeah, isn't it? it's like it? a waterfall of chocolate that, that, that kind of this... Imagine a, um, a printer. So the paper comes out of a printer, but it's... It, it's vertical, not horizontal, and it moves like an air conditioning machine. So this liquid chocolate comes out, and then people calculate the distance and the heat of the chocolate when it comes out of the, 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 the waterfall. So by the time it arrives on the cold ice cream, it sets instantly. Human beings do that. It's amazing. It was brilliant, wasn't it? It was, And, and the great thing about that Vianetta machine was it was... Clever enough, you couldn't quite figure out what it was doing, but it was it was obvious enough that you could still see the magic happening. So like you said, there was the waterfall of chocolate and there was this sort of continuous conveyor belt of a Vionetta, which was being having the wiggles put on of it. And then at the end, it was just chopped into normal size Vionettas and sort of stuck yeah. in the bags, all in one magical sort of stream. So think, think about the robots that we created to do that, but they could not have done that without, without our imagination. 
How amazing is that? I always wonder, you know, when it comes down to whenever they sell these products, they always sell them on, oh, the beauty of the food and, and, and the, the sort of, you know, the vanilla from the vanilla fields in the middle of nowhere. Why do they never show these super cool robots making it like this? Because it's really magical and brilliant. I know, I know, because they want to they want people to think that it's handmade. I know when we did the first, the Christmas pudding with Waitrose. I remember somebody saying to me, where do you make all those Christmas puddings? Do you have... Uh, this person asked me the question, seriously, they thought I had a whole army of Oompa Loompas under the road in Bray making Christmas puddings, like tens of thousands of them. <laughs> I hope you carry that thought going with them as well. <laughs> yeah, I wish. It's, it is remarkable, isn't it? It's that, hand, it's that handmade thing, it's, it's got, even, with, even with products which are clearly mass-produced. Now, obviously, we are not unaware that it is the middle of winter, but the reason we thought it would be fun to talk about ice cream today is because, alongside booze, that's probably a crutch that's helping a lot of us through lockdown at the moment, and it seems like a really fun thing to delve into and Heston you've obviously got such a pedigree and obsession and love of it well, I think it'd be brilliant to crack your head yeah. open yeah so the middle of winter do you know apparently apparently ice cream started in the middle of winter go on people climbed mountains they gathered snow and ice and compacted it and froze liquids that's where ice cream started so ice cream started in the middle of winter but it's associated with summer why how do you make ice cream with ice how the hell are you going to get ice in the middle of the summer you have to be creative it's an oxymoron yeah that's a, that's a that sounds incredibly labor intensive for what would just basically be ice back yeah then, right? the, 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 exactly and maybe one of the reasons why we value it so much so I remember seeing one of David Attenborough's shows where this beetle had to climb a sand dune, which was the equivalent, apparently, of, don't, don't quote me on this, but it was like a human being climbing Everest in terms of height every morning to get the morning dew on the top of the, uh, a sand dune the size of a mountain. And it, this beetle does a handstand and collects the dew on its back which runs down its back into its mouth and it has to do that to survive then it has to climb down the mountain or walk down the mountain avoiding lizards with tongues that are like 13 meters long just to get water working for reward we don't value food in the same way we did before we don't value it well, especially if you've got to climb up a mountain to get hold of a tub of Gino Ginelli, you'd certainly consider it slightly differently. I'd have a bit, a bit <laughs> you <more>. certainly would. <laughs> I don't know where you find your plastic lid, but... <laughs> and with Tutti Fruity, God knows where that comes from. Oh but... my God, dried, <laughs> so... dried fruit on the top of um, Everest? Maybe there's a Tutti Fruity tree. I'm sure that's what it's not. That's what it comes from. Right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, yeah. So where did your, where did your, you know, obviously you're well known for the plumes of nitrogen and creating just the most fantastical flavours. And we've touched on some of those before in previous yeah. podcasts. But where did it, where did it all begin for you? Where did the ice cream love? What is your nostalgic memory of ice cream that is I, most vivid in your mind? So I suppose for me, it was the first food with reflection that I can look back on that I had to work for my reward. So work our, our, um, our hormones, the things that give us pleasure and pain, they're called reward hormones. So either we're driven by fear or we're driven by attraction. But that is a survival, evolutionary uh, survival mechanism. So I grew up in London, near Paddington, every Saturday morning, myself and my sister, I think I was seven, we, ha we walked, it seemed... 15-20 minutes to a market off the Edgware Road Church Street Market and this I'm, I'm, this is me sounding already old now there were men generally men selling bric-a-brac what, what my sister and I thought was just junk off the back of a horse-drawn cart that was the market and my grandmother and her best friend would drag my sister and I around this market and they would elbow each other like looking at oh oh he's nice isn't he so we'd have <laughs> to go through this whole process but on the way back there was something called the Regent snack bar and it was an ice cream parlor with a massive plastic cone 
And I, well, it seemed massive because I was about three foot tall. And it was run by a Sicilian family. I think there were six or seven flavors. So we got, we walked in, the, the, and imagine that Art Deco, the paneling, sort of red, yellow, beige with chrome um, kind of frames to it. Uh, and I got a tub of ice cream along with my sister in a brown paper bag with a wooden spoon. But I couldn't touch it until I got home. So that 15, 10 or 15 minute walk with me holding the brown paper bag in front of me trying not to let it drop seemed like you know i could have canoed from north to the south pole <laughs> so but i couldn't touch it till i got home so my reward for being dragged around this bric-a-brac junk market in my head was the reward of this tub of ice cream i'm, I'm curious one of our one of our things on, on journey to the center of food is getting people to re-engage with their inner child and their mm -hmm. childhood memories what is it about ice cream that is so appealing when we're kids? There's lots of other colourful foods out there and things with just as much sugar in. What, yeah. what is it about it, do you think? that I don't, I, I don't think there's ever one reason for something. So we can say it's sugar. We can say, certainly from my childhood, it's reward. So you would so say an ice cream van. Remember, we did a program on this where the ice cream van comes along and plays the chimes. And my mum, along with many other people's mothers, when we hear the ice cream van, mum, can I have some money? And they say, ah, when they play the chimes, it means they've run out of ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> so you end up making... The thing that your parents don't want you to eat, it becomes even more precious. So the association with the moment, holiday. Certainly for me, you go on holiday when I was a kid, ice cream van. When you're small, you look up to the van and you, you see that big uh, menu board of all the things you can have. The 99 flake and everything. And it's massive. Everything's massive. It's magic. It's magic. And it's sweet and it's creamy. And it's associated with a reward. And that agony of choice. I remember there's still, there's still ice creams out there that as a kid I was saving. Oh, I don't think I... Do I want to go for a happy foot? It looks good, but it's a bit of a risk. And I'm still waiting for the moment when I go, you know what, I'm going to go for the happy foot. I'm going to forsake the ones I know are going to be good. I'm going to yeah. go for the happy foot. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think the, the saving grace of the happy foot, when you get the, the, the wooden stick... And it's got a, jo a bad joke on it. There's another reward. So you have the question on the stick. But until you eat the ice cream, you don't know the answer. Again, you work for reward. Now, I'm just going to pause here because wouldn't it be great when we finally get out of lockdown and we do get to go abroad that we could order ourselves a helado or ice cream in Spain in the lingo? Well, there is a new way that you can spend your lockdown time in a good way, not just eating ice cream, but also learning a new language so you can buy more ice cream when we go abroad. One of our sponsors is called Babbel, and they're offering us a brilliant way for you to learn a new language and make deeper connections with the people you meet when you go abroad. Babbel teaches real-life conversations, and you can learn them through interactive dialogue, speech recognition technology that helps you to improve your pronunciation and accent. Their lessons are lovingly created not by translation machines but over a hundred language experts that's right real people helping you to learn useful vocabulary and not meaningless phrases Babbel has recently launched their own learning podcast so you can brush up on your spanish or french while cooking or exercising and you can choose from 14 different languages including spanish french italian and german where hopefully you'll be able to ask for an ice cream anytime you like the teaching method has been approved to be effective across multiple studies and i've tried it out on the app myself it is really easy to pick up new language really quickly so right now Babbel is offering all of you six months free with a purchase of six months subscription if you use the promo code heston that's right if you go to babbel.co.uk forward slash play and use the promo code heston h-e-s-t-o-n on your six month subscription that's babbel b-a-b-b-e-l dot co dot uk forward slash play promo code heston and before you know it you'll be asking for ice cream in any language you like right 
back to the good frozen stuff. There's something a bit like chocolate about the te- the feeling in our mouth. So the contrast of a warm mouth with a cold ice cream, plus you have sugar and fat. And they're energy-giving foods. And if you add to that a surprise or a, a treat, you know, it's it's something that it's something that I don't think we ever forget. It's interesting as well, in terms of an area of food, just thinking in my head now, I'm sort of flicking, when you first say ice cream, you tend to think of a 99 flake. But then you start flicking through all the different varieties, of it, from the, the, the tubs of ice cream through to all the creativity you see on the ice cream van. But then you also get the fantastically named Knickerbocker Glories and, and Banana Splits and all those things <clears> that, uh, that actually, when you said ice cream parlour, I remember as a kid, We'd go up maybe once every year or two to London from Somerset just for a visit. And I did go the to same. Harrid's ice cream parlour. No, no, no. You're, so you're, you're exciting. Jay, you're joking. Yeah, no, we generally did this. It was a massive so deal. My birthday was the same. It wasn't Harrods, but opposite Harrods, there was an Italian cafe. And I go, my treat was uh, maybe a, my birthday treat was maybe a Chinese meal, the cinema. And then a Knickerbocker Glory in this Italian ice cream parlour opposite Harrods. Now, what is a Knickerbocker Glory? I don't know. I think it had banana and cream in it. But what I do remember is that um, sort of crescent egg-shaped glass plate. It was always served on. And then that yes. bit of whipped cream that looks like a vortex that goes up to a point. And the long spoon. Oh, the, the long spoon. Oh, <laughs> the long spoon. You'd never <laughs> use it for anything else. No, and it didn't work. It didn't work because <laughs> if you stack something up, let's say you stack food up and it's, I don't know, five inches high or tall, and you have a spoon that is half a centimeter tall. It's impossible to get all the layers in one spoonful. <laughs> and maybe, but maybe that's part of the treat. It didn't stop you. James, do you know why it is called a Knickerbocker Glory? I don't know. I was just looking. I don't know why <clears throat> the na- where the name comes from. Um, but obviously they appeared, at, I think, around in the 1920s and obviously probably are in parallel with the sort of development of these ice cream bars and, and you know, the sort of, you know, the, the serving of ice cream in a much more informal sort of environment whereas what we're talking about at the beginning but ice cream was for was for the stuff of, of sort of emperors and kings it needed armies of men to retrieve ice from the mountains in order to make this wonderful delicacy <laughs> by by sort of the 18 1900s it starts to become much more a you know, part of the street fair you'd be able to get ice ice vans and ice cream parlors in the street for everyday folks to, to engage with it and I, I guess it kind of grew up out of someone's imagination just piling a whole load of different ice creams in one big long glass what's and, an ice cream float as well i've heard about that but is that ice cream on top of a drink yes I, on coca-cola often I've, I've, fl- I've seen that ah you've just triggered a memory for me have you had brown, that have you? brown cow same to you what does that mean james you could look it up if it i don't i just remember brown cow it's coke milk and a dollop of ice cream it's like basically ice cream soda, <laughs> cream soda is why, that's why it's called a cream soda. It's like a what Coca-Cola is a cream soda? with a lactic milky note to it. That's a cream soda. So I had brown cow as a special treat. And, and now I hardly ever drink Coca-Cola. Um, but occasionally, maybe once every other, two, three, four months, I might have it, but I put fermented milk. You're going to go, it's disgusting. I'll put some, I'll put some Coca-Cola, <laughs> some ferme- a little bit of fermented milk. So like, um, a, what's it called? Um, kefir. Some kefir and maybe a little bit of ice cream on the top. That sounds weird. I love it. Brown cow. I've seen it. Was, was your experience of it being a, like a root beer based drink? Was it more like a, a Dr. Peppery type drink? No, it's Coca-Cola. Which uh, you can argue that Coca-Cola is a kind of root beer. For our Australian listeners, ice cream floats are known as a spider. So there's probably a whole different range of ice cream experiences called spiders, which I don't know why. Maybe it's the shapes that the ice cream might make because it drips into the, the cola. I don't know. But there's obviously ice cream floats are very much a kind of American sort of European idea, very American really, which came over to, to us. But the, the, 
in the other side of the world for us in Australia, New Zealand, they're having a spider. You know, you oh. go for a cola spider or a um, or whatever. You know. Oh, please going down there. Do let us know. Obviously, I know my Australian accents have gone down very well. So please let us know what a spider's like. That would be great. Yeah, what, and what flavours you had? I mean, Heston's talking about the brown cow, which I think obviously must vary from place to place. But I think the reference I've seen is very much a kind of that's a root beer base float with ice cream on the top of a root beer which is obviously very american and, and obviously the the, the coca-cola float would be something that certainly i had as a kid was traditional basically just coca-cola with a pool of vanilla ice cream just sat on the top so i i, I that that my memories you just reminded me the brown cow and i don't know if it came from because my dad my dad grew up in south africa zimbabwe or Rhodesia, so i don't know if it came from there people think it's really bizarre to put something lactic like milk or yogurt into Coca-Cola. You can make a Coca-Cola ice cream. You can cook pork with Coca-Cola. I mean, people have done that for quite a long time. There's something about ice cream that is such a big reward. And I think with kids, we looked at sugar is a reward. So if you think about when we used to climb trees or whoever we were before human beings, we get fruit. We don't want the skin because it's bitter, nasty and bitter. But that bitter skin protects the fruit from invading creatures. So we take the fruit, the skin off, and we just want the sugar. So that became an, a reward because it gave us energy. But our whole bodily functional systems have changed. So now it's not a re- reward anymore. So when you say to your kids, eat all your broccoli, for example then you can have ice cream. What happens? What's the result? They don't want broccoli and they, they don't want broccoli and all and, and I discovered yeah. this as an adult growing up. Every time I eat something savoury, my body craves yeah. a pudding. It took me years yes, to get out of it. So you're making the actual the broccoli becomes more of the devil. So the ice cream becomes more of the god or the angel or the but the broccoli is more horrible. When you say, if you eat all your broccoli, only if you eat your broccoli, you can have ice cream. And there's a, I only heard this, there's a, there's a woman called, she's done a great TED talk called Brené Brown about the power of vulnerability. I didn't think I'd be talking about vulnerability with ice cream, but it's a fantastic TED talk. I heard her on a podcast say she discovered something called choice theory. So if I say to you, so there's, you have an open and closed question. So if I say to you, Jay, how are you? How do you yeah. answer that? Well, exactly. Do you, what you want? You really, being British, you generally say, I'm good, thanks. Yeah. But yeah, I know or what you mean. as uh, you, Bill Bailey you? says, I'm not too bad. But if I say, are you okay? <laughs> it's a closed question because then you just say yes or no. And then you can get on with it. You don't have a flap around with... You know, you don't really care. But I'm you fine. Are, how are you? How are, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's why you've banned that on bad. this show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not allowed so, to ask you that at the start. Um, she talked about this choice theory with kids. Um, so instead of saying, if you eat all your own, you can have ice cream if you eat all your broccoli. You make the broccoli more disgusting and the ice cream more magical. If you say you have a choice, you have a choice. You eat some broccoli and have ice cream. Or if you don't want your broccoli, then there won't be any ice cream. It's your choice. So you're giving ownership to your children to say yes or no. And it's such a simple thing. And what's happened, I think, uh, over the last decades, 100, 200, how many, however many years... What started off from an evolutionary point of view as a reward, sugar is a reward. We've refined sugar so much that we've stripped it of the things that's actually good for us. So we get instant gratification. So if you turn that to to your microbes and diet, we need fiber. And in sugar, in sugar, sugar cane, sugar beet, fruit. So imagine eat, guys listening, just if you have, maybe an orange is a bit, the skin of an orange is a bit too strong. But when you 
eat a clementine or, or, or a mandarin, for example, have a bite of the skin. But, this is important, don't think about your own hunger or what you want. Turn your attention to your... St- How does your stomach feel now? You don't have to describe it in words. How does it feel? And then have a bite of the skin. There's something about bitterness that our gut needs. And I think it's because of the microbes in the lower part of our stomach that have to work to break down the cellulose and fiber. It's like going to the gym. So when we have fast food, McDonald's, for example, is fast food. Now, it's not really fast food if you look at it from the point of view that it's come from a cow and it's come from, you know, the, the wheat and all of that takes a long time, but it's been sped up. The manufacturing and processing of all of those ingredients have been sped up to give us instant gratification so we don't work for reward. When you eat thing, foods with higher fiber, it takes you longer to feel full. So instant gratification is what we want and expect now. We want to win the lotto. But in fact, that doesn't make our lives happier. It doesn't. And we starve the bacteria in the lower part of our stomach. And this is one of the reasons why obesity is is growing. Imagine if you just eat McDonald's, or you just eat KFC, or you just eat... a a pack of sliced white bread or you just eat ice cream and the same ice cream you will feed the bacteria in you because you eat for your bacteria who else consumes the food so the bacteria in your gut if you eat one thing alone and you don't like anything else so the emotional connection i can only eat this everything else is disgusting you feed, it's like sending that bacteria to the gym and the other bacteria die off, they get starved. And that's one of the big problems of where we're going today is our lack of, 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 of um, uh, microbiome diversity. So the great thing about that you've explained before is you can, you can regrow it though, can't you? By you know, ah. a few days when you come off something, you can train your body back to like stuff again. Completely. That's, that's the key thing. If someone tells you, right, don't eat this, don't do that, eat this, eat that. If you don't want to do it, then it ain't going to work. But if you can discover the things behind it, when you say we eat for our microbes, and you look at ice cream, if, I, if we savour, if you eat a pint of ice cream, or you have one spoonful, so that long knickerbocker glory teaspoon eat a tub of ice cream with that you'll have many more mouthfuls and the more you can value each mouthful and think does that temperature is it a bit cold on my top lip or bottom lip where's the sweetness where am i feeling that how's my gut feeling it's a wonderful thing i'm obsessed with ice cream on so many levels we've been getting some lovely messages from you guys out there in the journey to center food world and we really appreciate it and we know a lot of you guys are chefs out there working in kitchens and a lot of you are passionate foodies and one of the messages we've been getting is sort of to you heston it's great because your thoughts and your conversations are helping people spark their creativity again and think different differently about the foods they're eating and the food they're making and i wanted to ask you with all your experience of trying so many different things in ice cream mm. Talk to those guys out there and sort of maybe help redefine in people's minds what ice cream can be in their cooking and in their lives. How can people take what we think of it as it is and play with it? What's, what's the routes you went down and what can people out there try? After my, uh, my experience as a kid, it got under my skin. And I bought books from the great chefs in France. I couldn't read French, so I used an English-French dictionary. But I found probably the most common recipe was vanilla ice cream. Now, vanilla is the most, apparently, it is the most universally liked smell, for whatever reason. But you could look at 20 recipes from 20 different chefs, and they'll all have vanilla, but it might be vanilla seed, vanilla pond, vanilla essence. It will have sugar or maybe glucose, so it might have cream, or uh, double cream, whipped cream, Milk, UHT milk, 
all of these variations and I thought well why are these why why is it because these chefs know the 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 why they're putting these ingredients into the ice cream or is it because they're just passing on what they've been told to do so if you just pass on what you've been told to do you don't question anything then you lose the potential love for your interaction with the, with, with, with that food and ice cream is about for me it's a bit like chocolate it's the uh, sensation of it melting in your mouth without gumminess without being too sweet when ice cream is when ice cream really uh, if you're aware when you're eating it when it really becomes magical it's it's creamy but it's not it's sweet but it's not it's refreshing but it's rich at the same time it's kind of like a paradox so how do you achieve that? You have to get the smallest ice crystals. So think about your fridge. At the back of your fridge, when it starts to ice up, they spread. This, it seeds. So the reason, when you make ice cream, you have to put enough. So going into the technical uh, side of making ice cream, take water, nothing else. You can't make ice cream with water. But you need water in ice cream to make ice crystals to freeze the ice cream. So you need to add things to the water to slow down the process and get in the way of the ice crystals so it's not crispy, crunchy like eating ice. So that's where solids come into it. Sugar, fats and stuff like that. Then you need to freeze, the quicker you freeze the ice cream and turn it at the same time, the smaller the ice crystals become. And the smaller the ice crystals are, the smoother the ice cream. So that bit when you put the ice cream in your mouth and it's kind of rich but not and it melts and it... Why is that? Why do they form smaller if you do it quicker? Because, well, it's quicker and colder, which is why I started using liquid nitrogen. And I did not realise that there was no chef on the planet that had used liquid nitrogen. There was a woman in 1895 called Margaret Marshall. Bear in mind, this is at the time where women didn't even have the vote. So she had a cooking school in Regent Street. She owned property. She was the first woman to talk in the House of Lords. And she wrote a book called Fancy Ices. And the theory is, and this is, you know, I learned a lot of this from Robin Weir, who the most obsessive incredible ice cream fanatic i could ever imagine on the planet he's been a big 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 inspiration to me so he said um that the theory was that margaret marshall went to the royal institute which is about half a mile down the road from dinner the restaurant the mandarin and the royal institute is the sort of scientific history of britain it's where faraday presented electricity so there was a guy called James Dewar and he invented the Dewar flask and in the science world it's still called the Dewar flask but he didn't patent his idea and Thermos nicked his idea. When he invented the flask it was a <clears throat> an insulated container but you didn't need to put a lid on it. So for the first time it was only a few years after nitrogen was liquefied you could put this ultra cold uh, liquid that turns into a gas very quickly minus 200 minus 197 degrees so he presented this and people turned up in theater with 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 top hats and like going to an opera top hats and tails the theory is that she saw him presenting this uh, thermos and she called it liquid air and said it's amazing you could take it on a picnic you could call champagne with it you could make ice cream with it but she never did it and liquid air or liquid oxygen is very dangerous. But thanks to Robin and uh, a guy called Peter, Professor Peter, Peter Barham at Bristol, they introduced me to this history. And I realized that the faster you can freeze something, the smaller, uh, that you don't give time to the for the water to expand. It's... The, the, the crystalline size so it means it becomes more smooth the first dish that I ever did that for me changed everything 
was the crab risotto with the crab ice cream. And the origin of that was, came from the rigidity of Italian cooking. So when you make a risotto, you never put parmesan on a risotto with seafood. It's wrong. Food isn't wrong. You like it or you don't like it. And um, I saw in Robin's book, I think James has a copy, in that book was a massive, massive inspiration for me. Look up the Sicilian recipe for Parmesan ice cream. Yeah, and he, was, he, he got a nudge from Ivan Day, who I know you also know about a recipe for Parmesan cheese ice cream, in Joseph Bell's Treatise on Confectionery in 1817. Bell was formerly confectioner to the Prince of Wales, later King George IV. We have since found similar recipes in, in books in France. So I saw, I, I saw this and I looked at it and thought, Parmesan ice cream, a Sicilian, potentially a Sicilian recipe. So this recipe for a savoury ice cream came from the country where you cannot put Parmesan on seafood yet you can make a parmesan ice cream it was a massive paradox for me and then margaret marshall's book she had molds for making asparagus ice cream in the victorian period they made fancy ices savory so when i made the crab risotto i did a crab ice cream or crab sorbet and it polarized people and i realized that if i told somebody taste this it's crab ice cream or taste this, it's a frozen crab bisque. The response was very different. And that led to my first paper with Martin Yeomans, Sussex University, and we did it with smoked salmon. So you make a smoked salmon ice cream mm. or parfait. It's the same thing. But you tell somebody, taste this, it's a frozen smoked salmon mousse. Taste this, it's smoked salmon ice cream. That does sound lovely, actually. Now you say it, the idea of smoked salmon ice cream. I think it's probably because we've evolved since a little bit in what we... You've talked about the past well, 10, now, 20 years, how much yeah. we... yeah. 20 years ago, oh, yeah. thought I was loopy. You might think well, I was Well, that was Gina Ginelli time, wasn't it? The idea of having salmon in an ice cream <laughs> yeah, would have been... Yeah, yeah no exactly. Chance. But But what I found was that when you called it smoked salmon ice cream, it was perceived to be between 10 and 20% saltier. Because when you use the word ice cream, we grow up with ice cream. So therefore, we expect ice cream to be sweet because we, we didn't grow up in the Victorian period. So, so ice cream saltier? When you say, taste this, it's a frozen sm smoked salmon mousse, you expect salt. So if you say, taste this, it's a smoked salmon ice cream, the word ice cream comes becomes more important than smoked salmon because when you're a kid you don't grow up with smoked salmon like the way you grow up with ice cream so your brain focuses on ice cream so you have a subconscious expectation that the ice cream is going to be sweet but if you tell someone it's a, a, a frozen smoked salmon mousse your expectation is salty so if you have an expectation of sweet and it's salt or you have an expectation of salt and it's salt, then your the, the, the contrast or the relevant relative difference between your expectation and deliverable, you find smoked salmon ice cream to become more salty. And that that playing with that expectation thing is not necessarily always a bad thing, because if you wanted to make something which people you, you deliberately gave people more salt in their mind, you I know you've played around with that playing with expectations, but also using it a little bit. Yeah, never have I wanted to shock anyone. But For sometimes me, arresting the, the taste buds, well, waking them up surprise. to different... Opening your eyes go, wow, I never realised that by changing the name of something or changing the shape of letters or by listening to different music, it can change the way that I relate to food. My relationship with food changes depending on what my memory, my emotion, my, my sight, my sound, my smell, my touch, my taste... My God, when you do that, you can then revisit your past again. You can relive your past. So when people say, we only have one life. No, we don't. When you discover something new about yourself and your relationship with the planet, you have another life. 
And you know what? You've done that brilliantly as well because it's one of those things we've spoken there at the start about our love of ice cream and our nostalgic memories of it. But I know you've played with that in a way that's absolutely delightful. So when I went to the restaurant once, you were you you made these beautiful little miniature ice creams, which were not ice cream. So it was a it was a the, my, the one I remember most was a miniature feast. It looked just like a feast. It was brown with the speckled on the outside, but it wasn't, was the it? Chicken chicken liver parfait. Uh, when you ate it, it wasn't like you said a nasty shot. It was just like, oh yeah, this is this should always have been this way. It worked, and it shouldn't make yeah. sense that suddenly you're eating something you're expecting a feast, but it's not a feast. And maybe it's because you played with the size of it, and because it's gone small, your brain is more open to. Well, it's the difference between surprise, surprising, and shocking. I don't want to shock anyone. What? 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 What's the purpose? I want pleasure. So the excite. I want to transfer the excitement from my own discovery. It's like if you. If you, this, you, you see a program or hear a piece of music or look at a painting or go on holiday somewhere or meet somebody, you want to share that experience with the people you care about. It's like a shared belief. You don't want to shock them. What's the, what's the purpose? I mean, I'm not making, believe it or not, <laughs> dear listeners, I'm not making a horror film. I don't want to make a horror film. <laughs> I want people <laughs> to be able to take ownership of the of the of the beauty under all of the excuse my French under all of the shit that is imposed upon us as we learn language in life and it's right and wrong and good and bad eat this don't eat that do that don't eat that this is best for you don't. under all of that life is so beautiful it's just that sometimes. And maybe more than sometimes we can't see it. So when we talk about, if you think about, there's a great Dalai Lama quote. And for me, it, it's so uh, powerful because this sums up what we can do with um, what every mouthful. So we say we only have one life. But every breath is the potential for a new perspective. When you go to sleep, you wake up, sleep on it. So we can we can we can engage with our our surroundings in always in very different ways. But sometimes it's not only very difficult; it's nearly impossible for a lot of people. And I've been I've I've been in that situation many times myself. So it's very easy for me to sit here talking to you on my high throne and being philosophical about the wonderment of life. But <laughs> it's a big but. It's the, it, it's the potentially most beautiful thing and the most difficult. So the Dalai Lama, when asked what surprised him most about humanity, he answered, man, because he sacrifices his health in order to make money. Then he sacrifices money to recuperate his health. Then he's so anxious about the future, he doesn't enjoy the present. The result being that he does not live in the present or the future. He lives as if he's never going to die. Then he dies never really having lived. Oh, you shouldn't have given him credit for that. You should have pretended you'd made that one up yourself. That'd have been great. <laughs> I did. Look, look, he's, he's a bald bloke with glasses. <laughs> the difference is i got a black T-shirt. I'm going to just go and change to pink. Hang on. <laughs> I love it. We've climbed to the top of the mountain to sit at the feet. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I think I think what's exciting and inspiring about that is, as we said, there's so many childhood memories that can be played with in ice cream. And that idea that you're building on such a legacy, not just a childhood legacy we all have, but also a legacy that ice cream goes a long way back. And it sounds like, you know, there haven't been rules with it. So it, play with it. You can have fun and you can arrest people's senses and you can enjoy yourself along the whole way even if it's just enjoying the ice cream you've got in that way that connects you with it? For me, savour, if you can eat ice cream, any food, mindfully. So when you, even the spoon, if you've got a tub, the texture and the, and, and the feeling of the spoon, even if it's a Knickerbocker Glory spoon, which actually, I talk about working for reward, but let's say you've got a normal spoon going into a tub of ice cream how does it feel when you're when you're scooping the ice cream out look at it feel it smell it have the sensation on your lips put a little bit in your mouth and let it melt and just play move it around your mouth 
and then think, how is my stomach feeling while I'm eating this? What's the story behind this? It becomes all magical. Eat less and value more. None of which is helping my lockdown waistline because I really want a bowl of ice cream right now. If this you had, it's like a last supper, you had one spoonful of ice cream. I don't know who to ask first. What would it be right now? Because in, in 10 minutes time, it might change. But right now... It's obvious. Gino Janelli, Tutti Frutti. I thought we'd already said oh, this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Jay>. <laughs> Jay, I don't believe you. I'm sorry. I think you're just being, you're being TV now. What would it be? That's a really good question. That's a really good question. Right now, right now, right now. You, knowing that you can change it. I think I know mine. Yeah. Mine would be some kind of hazelnut gelato ice cream. I like don't a praline. Yeah, but soft caramel and, and nutty it. and creamy. But just with that little, you know, that little sort of uh, uh, sort of note you get from the skins if they've made it really nicely. Just, just, I love, I just love it. Love it to bits. Yeah. Jay, you see, James has just made me want to go and buy some ice cream. <laughs> no, mine is a spoonful of a memory because I started flicking through my favourite ice cream flavours, whatever, like Ben and Jerry's yeah. or whatever. And yeah. suddenly I went, no, I don't want that. I want to have a spoonful Oh. of the ice cream that I had on the riverside in Florence on a holiday with my wife about 15 years ago. Oh, that would have been coffee or nuts in it, probably. But it, but it almost doesn't matter what it was because it was the dusk and there was this one of those shops where all the all the counters are in front mm. of you and they're all the greens. And because it's an Italian ice cream shop, yeah. all the colours are mixed up. So you're never quite sure. You so, always think you're getting mint chocolate chip and it's not. It's always bloody pistachio. Basically, we need to patent your Florence ice cream. Yeah, the magical memory yeah, yeah, ice cream, yeah, whatever yeah, the hell let's that is. Put Florence, your your relationship with Florence, yes, in a tub. Makes it sound like Florence is a person now. We'll get Florence to make me some ice cream. Oh my god, just if I've you know I've done baked bean ice cream, spam ice cream, uh, parsley ice cream, garlic ice cream, bacon and egg ice cream, sardine on toast ice cream, marmalade on toast ice cream. So what's your one then? You can have me? one spoonful. What are you having? Jay, I hate you. Oh, see, because you hate being <laughs> just this minute. I've, I've got some knobbly bobblies in the freezer. In the, <laughs> I think James summed it up. There's something about if I could have a vanilla ice cream, low in sugar, that was sort of clean, but had a sort of slightly nutty, praliny, the skin of the nuts, uh, and it melted in my mouth. It wasn't chewy. It wasn't thick. It wasn't viscous. And maybe some crunchy bits. We're all out of those. We've got Cornettos or Magic Feet or Happy Feet. A Cornetto, Cornetto, the ice... See, I, I think if I think about... I probably shouldn't be saying this, but mass-produced ice creams, I think Haagen-Dazs do a very good job. And they, but did, Am I right in thinking they started as an ice cream parlour, Haagen-Dazs? I mean, it was a restaurant, was it? Or was that afterwards? Did it happen the other way around? Did we get the tubs and then... No, it started and then somebody just made up a name. So Hagen Das was a made-up name, and 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 they're in northern um, northern France. And at one point, all the milk for the ice cream came from the cows from northern France. But the difference between them and Ben and Jerry's, if you look at the ingredients on a tub of Hagen Das and look at the ingredients on a tub of Ben and Jerry's, but Ben and Jerry's work well because they've got you know they've got creative names, they've got loads of bits of them. I love it when ice cream is when so, it's it's this oxymoron paradox when something can be rich and cleansing and clean at the same time. You think well, how I, I don't like it when it's full of starch and sugar. For our listeners out there, this is a perfect example of what it's like trying to go to a sandwich shop with Heston on a shoot. You still haven't decided what your ice cream is, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. I know. I know. It might take us ages when we stop at a service station to even I buy bloody I'm coffee. Going... Um... Legally binding. <laughs> yes, I'm going to hold you to it. You said eight out of ten people like this, and then you're fixed. The, that moment, maybe that's the magical world of ice cream. Did you know, did you know Margaret Thatcher, before she became a politician, she was a food scientist. She did something quite amazing. I'm not supporting all the damage that Margaret Thatcher did. But I'm just, forget the politician. What she did, I don't know if this is good or bad, she worked out a way to incorporate more air 
into ice cream. She was a food scientist. So if you look at a tub of ice cream, you it's sold by volume, not by weight. So for example, one liter of water, hmm. so a liter is volume, is one um, kilogram, that's weight. One liter of vodka, for example, is actually about 700 grams because it's more volatile. So when you sell ice, the more air you can incorporate into ice cream, the more money you make. So if you pick up, you, anyone going to a supermarket, if you take some, I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to be killed for this, but something like Carte d'Or, the biggest selling ice cream, was the biggest selling ice cream on the planet. Take the donuts down because it's bloody awful. No, take a yeah. Thanks, <laughs> thanks, Jay, for helping me out here. But if you Eston took, can't say that, but I can <laughs> pick up two the same sized containers of Hagen Dazs and Carte d'Or. There's no comparison in the weight because Carte d'Or, um, the scientists behind Carte d'Or create a framework to incorporate so much more air. How much more money does that make? So there's but a isn't that how Mr. Whippy works though? Isn't Mr. Whippy aerated? Is that why it's... It is, but all ice cream, all ice cream, it's called an overrun. And an overrun is if you have one litre of custard and you end up with one and a half litres of ice cream, you have a 50% overrun. And you need to incorporate some air, but the more air you incorporate, the more moussey it becomes. Now, from a commercial point of view, if you could take one litre of custard and make three litres of ice cream. Ka-ching! Ka-ching, ka-ching, sure. ka-ching. So pick up, just pick your ice cream up. I mean, if you like Cardo, you like Cardo. I'm not, you know. Talking about overrun and too much air, we've run out of time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going oh, to give you a 99 and flake. Priceless <laughs> moments. Link. Genuine radio link. There we They're go. One of your uh, corny <laughs> moments. <laughs> There's many. James, thank you ever so much for being with us on our journeys into ice cream. And Heston, that was an ice creamy delight. Thank you ever so much. That was a pleasure. Thank you, guys. And thank you. And now I'm going to go away and trouble myself with what ice cream I want to eat. I don't know. I want nut skin and I want creamy and not creamy and I want chalk chip and not chalk.